This is a crypto finance podcast. We are holding internal knowledge sessions and publish selected episodes to share our know-how and experience with you. So yeah, I'm going to talk about Liquid Network. I, I was actually experimenting a little bit, a bit with it and I was playing with it, so I got to you know, know it a bit. No? So basically, what is it now? So the Liquid Network is a Bitcoin sidechain, so it's a second layer solution. And basically, like the goal of it is it to be an inter-exchange settlement network among functionaries. No? Functionaries are just a set of institutions that, you know, they get together and they form this kind of chain. It enables, for example, faster Bitcoin transactions and they have guaranteed finality, uh, which means that, you know, uh, in the Bitcoin blockchain, sometimes you have to wait for many confirmations to understand if it's actually final or not. In, in the Liquid Network, two confirmations should be more than enough to consider as, fi- as final. It also reduces the counter's body risk. We'll see later why. And it enables uh, issuing these digital assets inside the network. So the way it works is basically a two-way pet sidechain. No? Basically, you insert one Bitcoin into a multi-sig wallet that is actually controlled by all, all the functionaries. And you get one liquid Bitcoin inside the chain. That means that there will never be inflation in the system. So it's completely verifiable and open, so everybody can have a node. Not everybody can actually do the mining, let's say. The miners are actually just done by the functionaries, but everybody can verify their stuff and everybody's free to send assets as they want. So yeah, you have the pegging, which is to insert Bitcoin into the liquid uh, network. And what you do is just basically just insert Bitcoins, normal Bitcoins into a multisig, and you will get liquid Bitcoins in some address inside the network. Usually you have to wait for 102 Bitcoin confirmations for security reasons uh, because they, you know, it's against reorgs and these kind of things. To pick out, you just create a special liquid Bitcoin transaction and it should be done in two liquid confirmations. For the peg-in? For the peg-out, yes. No, for, question for the peg-in. Oh, yeah. um, what address do they, do they send the LBTC to? Because well, it's a, it, it, I need to be in control yeah, it works it, right? It works in a very interesting way. I didn't like completely understand it, but it's something like this, no? So basically, you are able to create a Bitcoin public address from there, maybe extend the public key or something like this, that only you know. So they actually don't know which address you are sending money, so but therefore they don't know that they actually own that money. So what you do is that you send money to that address, and then inside the liquid blockchain, you just basically say, hey, I put address in. Uh, I put money in this address. I put bitcoins in this address. So please give me money to this address. So then they are actually able to validate uh, that that address has money, and then they will basically transfer the liquid bitcoins or produce the liquid bitcoins to you to your liquid bitcoin address. And uh, is there some risk because uh, you said that first you send the bitcoins on public uh, address, uh, public key, uh, and uh, only after that. You say that this, that you made this transaction. So if someone is watching the, the blockchain, and will be faster than the new claiming that. Uh, well, the thing is that uh, in theory there are infinite uh, numbers of addresses you know, that you can create. So actually, if they are constantly verifying the blockchain, they will never find the address that actually has money. So uh, it's 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 very difficult to to do it. So that's why you you are the only one that basically can verify and validate that you know the bitcoins are actually in this address. You're the only one that can know this.
uh, because usually you will send it even before uh, the transaction is uh, in blockchain, in the Bitcoin blockchain. No, the thing is that they don't know that that address belongs to them. I mean, there's millions of uh, transactions in the blockchains. How would they know that this one belongs to them? Well, they, they could monitor all those addresses, but the idea would be that the space of addresses that you can choose from to send to is so large exactly. that you cannot monitor all of them. Exactly. It's actually pretty neat. Yeah, it's, it's very nice, yeah. Good question. And also, you have 102 BTC calls, which takes a while. That's, all, that's right. around one day, yeah. yeah. 18 hours, I think. It's yeah. thousand, thousand minutes will after the first one, right? But with the second one, uh, two liquid mm -hmm. calls, what is the, after you get the first confirmation, what is the uh, essentially the 10-minute equivalent for the next confirmation? Or what's, how long does it take? Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. Yeah. Ah, okay. so, uh, so basically in the pegging, any person can basically peg BTC to liquid Bitcoin. And in the pegout, actually only the functionaries can peg out liquid Bitcoin to Bitcoin. So you are actually, as a, an individual, you're not free to transfer liquid Bitcoin to Bitcoin. They do this for security reasons. So, because basically they, they don't want people to hack the functionaries and then they withdraw the money. So the only way that you can peg out is to whitelisted addresses that they own. So in any case, you have to go through them to be able to transform everything to Bitcoin back. So uh, they can censor you? They can censor you, exactly. In this way, yes. yes. What's the transaction cost? Just approximately or like what are... What the well, the, the, the pegging is just a Bitcoin transaction, yeah, so it's whatever. Uh, the, on the pegout? The pegout is just a normal liquid Bitcoin transaction, yeah. and that costs around one Satoshi per byte, which is like the cheapest possible mm -hmm. transaction okay. fee there is. That's because, let's say, the mempool is quite empty, right? So it's actually for free, basically. Mm -hmm. So the way uh, these uh, functionaries uh, basically create blocks, is that they go in random grabbing fashion, one by one, they create a block. So they go one, 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 and then they start again. Every block is actually created in one minute, every one minute. Uh, as I said, two confirmations for transaction finality. And a uh, super majority needs to be, you know, needs to be present to sign the blocks. So basically two thirds of the functionary need to sign every block in order to be valid. That's how it works. And there's four megabytes block, which basically, you know, it gives much more room for um, transactions than the Bitcoin blockchain, basically. Which, which parties are those? Do, is there a full list of the block producers? Or there is, yeah, it's, it's public. No, I, I have it later, I can show it to you. So yeah, besides using liquid, liquid Bitcoins in this blockchain, you can also use assets. No? You can issue assets. Every person can issue assets, like nodes, uh, users, and also the, the functionaries can issue assets. And it's very straightforward to do. It's, it's actually a super small smart contract, so it doesn't require much effort, like for example, Ethereum or whatever. It doesn't require much block size. Uh, the only parameters that it has is basically the max number of assets, and you can have a reissuance token. Basically, every person that have, or any person that has this token is able to generate more assets. So for example, uh, while I was uh, playing with the liquid blockchain, for example, I met a guy on Twitter that uh, he's issuing candles. So he just sent me a candle and uh, you know, any person can have the token to issue candles. So everybody can issue candles to each other. And he was basically claiming that the person that has this candle token would receive a real candle in real life. I don't know, I'm still waiting for that one. <laughs> 
So yeah, the interesting part about this is that issues, uh, other assets are like there and they are basically secure, but the same federation of functionaries. And it's fast and it's, it minimizes congestion. You know? it, it should not happen something like it happened with the CryptoKitties that everybody was you know, sending cats to each other and then the Ethereum blockchain got super congested and nobody was actually able to do anything. So do I need to have liquid Bitcoin to issue a token? You do, yeah, exactly. Because it's basically like a transaction as well. No? Everything, you need liquid Bitcoin to do everything. Yeah. That's it's how, that's the gas. Second? It's similar to counterparty in, in that sense, is it? Yeah. Counterparty was like 2000. Oh, no, I don't know counterparty. Very early tokenization protocol on top of Bitcoin, which sounds very similar, just that it's not on Bitcoin, but on liquid. Okay, yeah. It also has some unique feature that is confidential transactions. I think I think it's Monero that uh, does something similar that is called Pendencer Commitments, I think. So basically the amounts are hidden, uh, but they are verifiable by everybody. And also users can choose to reveal their amounts, for example, for uh, auditability reasons. If somebody needs to show or prove to whatever lawyer or bank uh, that they have this amount of money and all the transactions that they did, they can do it with a special key that, that they own. You can also create confidential assets, which is a very interesting thing, because basically you are transferring something that nobody knows what it is. It could also be liquid Bitcoin, like liquid Bitcoin can also be confidential. So this enables, in a way, that the functionaries are not able to censor some kind of transactions because they produce more money than others, for example, no? or because maybe they don't want to, you know, they want to stop people from transacting candles, but if they are actually confidential, they won't be able to notice what is it like. So yeah, the security and trust model of this. So basically it's a functionary of 11, oh, sorry, 15, this number is wrong, it's 15, that are working in the current software implementation, but there is 23 they announced and 35 they announced already that they are like in the next software release of, of the, of the LitKit network. And there are institutions, they are mainly exchanges, they claim to be geographically distributed, not more than three in the same country because of regulations purposes, etc. If some gets shut down, the network should be able to keep running. Uh, any person can basically set up a node, receive all the blockchain data and verify all the transactions. Also, you can have your own wallet, you can have your wallet with you, which is, you know, it avoids counterparty risk, for example, and, you know, instead of having the money in the exchange, you can have your own wallet, you can set the money from the exchange to your wallet in a matter of two minutes or one minute and then you know, play with that and do arbitrage or whatever. There's a relatively small possibility of collusion because all these functionalities, you need, you need at least a third of functionaries that are you know, doing something wrong to hijack the network. And yeah, it's not completely trustless, but I mean, in any case, you already trust the exchanges when you have your money there. So it actually adds another layer of, of, of yeah, or yeah, of trustless. Because let's say that one exchange that belongs to the liquid network does an exit scan, and you have your bitcoins there, uh, you would lose it. But if it's liquid network, if they do that, then you will actually not lose it because the network's still running, even if one, one, uh, one of the functionaries left. It is required to use HSMs like by Blockstream, which is the company that is behind this, to secure all the private keys of all the functionaries. And there is an emergency condition uh, that applies if in more than two weeks none of, the, none of the functionaries are actually mining anything, because probably because of the network was hijacked or anything like this, 
then the funds of all the multi-sig wallets will be released to a different federation, which actually I'm not sure who controls it, I guess it's Blockstream or something like this. But it's a multi-sig as well, which is two out of three people. Yeah, some of the economic incentives, the block creators, well, the functionaries, they, they get transaction fees, which at the, at, the, at the time are the minimum one, one Satoshi per byte, but if the blocks get higher, of course, the price will increase. And they also use this to pay for the pegouts, for example, which is uh, part of the, of the service that everybody needs to use. It enables uh, you know, people to transact faster for arbitrage, to do market making, etc. So it's in their economic incentive to allow people to do this, so they get more volume. And yeah, and I said uh, they need to process all the assets because, because they could be, for example, confidential assets. So yeah, this is, this is the 35 functionalities that are in the list. I don't know which ones of these ones are actually in the current implementation. So uh, I could, for example, emphasize on three, Bitfinex, Bitmex, and six digital exchanges are there. The rest, I actually am not much aware of them, but I guess some of, some of you actually know them. But I mean, just the fact that Bitfinex and Bitmex is there, I think it's, it's, it's pretty important because those two control a huge, huge amount of the volume of Bitcoin transactions, right? So, yep. I mean, just from my understanding, so if I now want to transfer 10 bitcoins from a Bitfinex account to BitMEX, I could expect to that transfer is going to happen within two or three minutes. Exactly. That's what you would expect. I don't think it happens right now at the moment. I actually tried. I, I opened my Bitfinex account that I didn't have. You can transform in the web platform bitcoins for liquid bitcoins, one to one, right? And then I try to withdraw those liquid bitcoins to my liquid wallet that I have in my own computer. And it's still processing since days. Mm -hmm. I assume that's because the network is still pretty young. Actually, a huge amount of these ones don't allow withdrawals, for example, of liquid bitcoins. I think it's like two or three that allow bit, uh, withdrawal right now. So it's still growing. No? That's the Genesis block was actually in September of 2018. So it's actually you know, months away. It's a pretty new network. And, uh, and the, for example, the last transaction was actually done one day ago when I took these screenshots. So it's, it still has few transactions per day, right? That's why it doesn't work maybe perfectly yet. The amount of, you know, the multi-sig wallet is 54 bitcoins, which is not much, it's $500,000. And you see the total number of backpacks, it's also very slow, very small. Very small. Why, why is it not working uh, like... All, all big names, big exchanges, they, they know what they're doing. Uh, everyone is talking about Liquid. Uh, why is it not working? That's a good question. I, I would assume it's, uh, I mean, it's just a technological effort that they need to do in their side. And also, maybe they're still investigating, you know, how things work perfectly before they actually start using it. So this I think it's still like a trial phase, in my opinion. So this is a scalable model of, let's think, 20 years down the road and banks are actually in it and they start to process BTC payments around the world. Then this, is this a scalable version for the SWIFT payment system for Bitcoins? Yeah, well, well, I mean, it, it is scalable in the terms of like, you know, speed, for example. Like, uh, there's no problem there. Maybe the... 
you know, because the functionaries are the miners in a way, and they are basically the ones that control the network. They are they can easily get new equipment, and they can increase block sizes, for example. And in that sense, that's a scalable, which is not maybe in the Bitcoin kind of way. But you still need um, to maintain that it's validable by by you. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That that's a trade-off. Who decides on protocol changes? Can who, if I want to increase the four megabytes, who decides? That's well, it is change? it is it is the functionaries of the change. Like uh, so they can do everything. They can do everything exactly. But they, I mean, they need to reach some kind of consensus, which is yeah. I guess it's yeah, but, hard but to that's actually. all fine because it's it's just a second layer. Exactly. Right? So yeah. It's not touching. Yeah. I think the, uh, one of the answers also to your scalability question, how big can it really scale, um, this is one sidechain and I do not have to use this one. Exactly. Right, so you could have like a sidechain between Bitfinex and Bitmax and a different one wherever. Right? You could, have, could even have sidechains where you can move from sidechain to sidechain without touching the Bitcoin chain. So it, it becomes a bit more of finding the closest in it, all Bitcoin mode. It becomes the, 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 the question of what's the closest path um, through all sidechains to go from A to B? Yeah, um, then we go back to some sort of lightning. Maybe, layer. yes. Sidechains talking to each other. Yeah, they, um, they actually say a lot that they would, they would, they envision uh, lightning to run on top of the the liquid sidechain. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what they mean about this, but... Which makes sense. I mean, we had this in, this, in the um, session about atomic swaps, um, that it is actual, actually very easily possible to have atomic swaps or also uh, cross-channel um, cross atomic swaps, so essentially lightning, mm -hmm. between chains. So the only problem is that you have this um, free American style object, which, you don't, which is not a problem if it's packed, if, if there is no no price difference or no, no price movement. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, that makes absolute sense. But then you, so you could move swiftly between all of that, um, and that enables them also scaling because you, you don't, you only have to, to observe those side chains that you are interested in because you have funds there. Mm -hmm. That scales very well. And I would assume also that you know, if the network reaches a point that it's congested, uh, you can actually deploy different like liquid sidechains. I mean, yeah. like Blockstream just, you know, gives all the infrastructure and then, you know, they, he say, they say the ball is on your side, right? But to make it economically sensible, that has to be sorted out as well. So like these operating or overseeing companies, they would need to get some sort of compensation to be there or do it. Or well, they get the fee yeah, the They get the transaction. Exactly. Yeah, I thought the functionaries who do the mining. They get the transaction. The functionaries are not Blockstream. Blockstream is still mostly paid for donations at the moment. Blockstream also, they provide the infrastructure, right? So they, they get a huge amount of money because of that. Like they, they, they pay for consulting fees as well. Because, I mean, the functionaries don't know exactly how this works. So they will request for Blockstream to come and fix the issues, for example. Can you mention two or three more details on liquid bitcoins, what, what they are, like how they're represented? And I mean, based on the description that you gave and in terms of being able to take it out and the kind of the, um, 
not centralized, but I guess the gates in terms of the period of the liquid that's going back in. Does that mean that if, for example, I'm on BitMEX and I don't trust them in terms of hacks and keeping BTC on there, should I then go and keep it in LBTC on there? Exactly, yeah. This, this is one of the advantages. Now, it reduces okay. the counterparty risk. So you can actually withdraw money in a fast way uh, from the exchanges. And then you can have it in your own wallet, which is completely outside the risk of BitMEX failing. The only way that these like, uh, liquid bitcoins actually you know, vanish is if all the, or the majority of the functionaries actually collude mm -hmm. to steal all the stuff. But then I can just keep Bitcoin and remove them from the exchange. That's true, but it takes a huge amount of time, right? No. Yeah. 10 minutes. Well, um, they have to confirm it first, no? No, no, no. Really. Shit factory. It takes long. Yeah. But you're transferring counterparty risk into sort of... In a federation. Governance risk. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a transfer of risk, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of this confidentiality is that also the block, pro the block producers probably wrong name, but also those functionaries don't know precisely what transaction they are exactly. approving, so censorship doesn't really know if, if they don't know what they are approving, what they bring into the consensus. And if they know where and which they do, because only the amounts are getting right. If they find, that, find out my addresses, they can censor me. Not not a specifically what I transact? Is it all my um, I'm actually not so sure, but I believe it works in a very similar way as, as Bitcoin. Like, I mean, you will have a huge amount of addresses. If, if you do stuff properly, then they will know who you are. But there is, there is something that is called like, you know, confidential address and address, but I'm not sure exactly how it works. And in terms of, in terms of LBTC itself, in terms of two of those, I think you can transfer them out. So is there an entirely separate market for LBTC? There could be, yeah. There could be, there could say both Patrick and I were on exchange where we transfer out, we both transferred out, and then I can send them more LBTC, yeah. for example. Would he then be able to do the same exchange tax and back and... and um, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. And there's, there's also... Is not open arbitrage opportunities if there, if there is? Huh? It's packed. I understand that it's packed, but then, I don't know, maybe someone appreciates the fact that the liquid he can get it much faster for times of the essence of these one. It takes takes half a day. Like, so if you need it faster than half a day, you yeah. might want to overpay, but that's the that's arbitrage opportunities on order of half a day. Exactly. Yeah. There's also something that I didn't mention, that it, it uh, like this uh, liquid network, it, it enables also like atomic swaps, like out of the box. So for example, you know, if, if you have this liquid Bitcoin and you, you can actually, as an independent person, create a completely new market where you, you know, you enable people to, to do atomic swaps between liquid Bitcoin and liquid gold, for example, you know, without any issue. Yeah. yeah? From a Bitcoin maximalist point of view, is it, this like defeat the whole purpose of absolutely everything? As in, you essentially just trust a centralized counterparty or, yeah, distribute it through all these different participants and everything, but fine, but at the end of the day, you're still ending up with more or less a permission transaction system. That I don't see that would be the best point. But if someone wants to use it, who cares? It's a second level. Mm -hmm. You don't see the point if of someone, it? If certain people have a case to use it, and why did they find it? Well, if you want to do arbitrage, you are you are much faster with liquid. For Can example. you imagine certain? Maybe you, as a normal person, as a consumer, as a holder, no. But 
but there is some use cases. Uh, arbitrage, I do arbitrage on an exchange, if trades on exchange where blockchain time doesn't matter, right? This thing is not arbitrage or not only, this thing is just getting your settlements done faster. Yeah, arbitrage is for, for us, settlement is, is I mean, doing settlement with exactly. all your clients, all your workers, all your exchanges, exactly. that's the hassle. The faster I can settle something, the better it is. Exactly. The next thing I would expect pretty soon is some kind of fiat liquid network where I could transfer fiat that fast, right? If it's, you mean like liquid fiat? So yeah. like tokenized, like they yeah. actually talk about liquid tether, right? For example, yeah. this is this is something very... Yeah, li liquid fiat. What is liquid fiat? <laughs> yeah, no clue. But I mean, it goes, goes into saying like someone like tether deposits some fiat, you, you issue a token, you exactly. put that token into yeah. liquid and then... Yes. So, Pretty doable. So, so do you think the, the biggest use case is for settlement or payment? Yeah, no, no, for, definitely for settlements for and, and for liquidity reasons. Right? I mean, do you think it could be used for payments? Maybe it can be used, but I don't see the point. But if you, can you, use if you settle in liquid, then it should also be used for payments because at some point you only use liquid, right? Yeah. Because it's better. No, but the thing is that, I mean, the use cases for this is traders, right? Like a normal person would never use liquid. Why would you use liquid? And if you use it, you would use it in a very transparent way. Like for example, I send remittances to my daughter or to my son, whatever. And then, you know, in, in, in a transparent way that I don't understand, in a hidden way, that uses liquid on the background. But then the, she gets bitcoins, for example. But all right, when do you need, either you need instantaneous settlement, like a payment, or like, does it doesn't really matter if it's 10 minutes or a day, like, for, for many of the use cases, like, if you're going to send send money to your daughter, then it can take a day. Well, maybe not. I mean, maybe you want it fast. I don't know. It depends. It depends on, on your time preference, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying that it's only a limited amount of circumstances when you would need it yeah. within 24 hours versus instantly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I don't think the goal of like liquid, like as as it was envisioned, was to you know solve. Bitcoin scalability issues because that's probably unsolvable. So, like their their way of view things is that you know we can solve scalability in certain use cases, you know, in certain layers that maybe can compete between each other. Which is absolutely reasonable. That's in general the idea of side chains that you that you just cut out portions of the main chain to be used in a specific context. Mm -hmm. Okay, but the, towards you the question. Um, if it's all these Bitcoin core guys and all these Peter Williams and whatever else, all these developers, I mean, I'm the guys that are preaching scaling Bitcoin and how to scale it and how to build solutions. And I mean, to me, this looks like a step back towards centralization. It's optional centralization. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have your money in the exchange, right? You're it's a, it's already at risk. It's optional centralization to send you the a uh, bank transfer rather than giving you cash. I mean, why it doesn't matter. It's not really an optional centralization. If you have the, the more superior way and the, the much better way, the clearly much better way to Which of giving me cash and sending me wire transfer is the clearly much better way? Sending you the bank transfer because the geographical aspect is not an issue in that it case. It depends so very much on, on, on the use case. Yeah. I think it's a step towards it. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't centralize Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't affect that's Bitcoin, that's right? And, and I, th I think something to understand is that, you know, like the Bitcoin blockchain is, is made to never change, you know. So if it scales, 
in the protocol, it's going to take a long time. And we need solutions before that happens, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this narrative, or that, that you say that uh, that's a point or a step towards centralization. Okay, fine. Uh, this is more centralized than Bitcoin. But it's optional. Okay. Then your argument is, yeah, but um, if you if you get, uh, if liquid is much cheaper, for example, in, in, in a few years, whatever, um, than Bitcoin because of high fees, then it's not economical to use Bitcoin anymore than everybody uses liquid, just as, a, as an extreme example. Um, this is, I think that's totally fine. That's right? uh, still not breaking anything. This becomes a problem in the narrative that people do push against Blockstream uh, when they say um, they want to, uh, to to keep the limit, the block size limit in Bitcoin so low in order to push these um, Blockstream invented second layer solutions like Liquid, mm -hmm. obviously. So, but that's conspiracy theories, right? This is um, this is this this narrative only makes sense. If the reason for keeping Bitcoin uh, with small blocks is to have liquid, which is not the case, the reason to keep Bitcoin small is in order to to keep it decentralized, and then you need a you need a valve for all those um, for those applications where you don't care about decentralization, uh, which to get them not related to Bitcoin but away from Bitcoin in a sense. There is a conflict of interest. There is a conflict of interest, yes, absolutely. Okay, any more Thank questions? You. That's all. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Crypto Finance. We are happy to receive comments and feedback. Email your thoughts to research at cryptofinance.ch.